I think it's very important that we keep guns out of the hands of the wrong people, and most of those are in the government. As the gun control debate is ramping up again, I think this is a really good time to have a conversation like this. My guest today is Ragnar Liftezer, uh, who is the founder of the Guns and Bitcoin Conference, which is an awesome conference happening in April in Austin, Texas, uh, dedicated to Bitcoin privacy and 3D gun printing. It, it just sounds so cool, and I'm so excited to be going. Uh, but yeah, uh, we, we talked about all sorts of things. We talked about how to build up resiliency in your life uh, to withstand cancellation and withstand oppression, uh, whether it's political or, or just you know getting attacked by the mob and, and how important it is to be self-sovereign, but to also have people in your life that are self-sovereign that can support you. And I think one of the big appeals to a conference like uh, Guns of Bitcoin is to meet people that are actually living that lifestyle and to get connected with them. So yeah, anyways, hope you enjoy this interview. Alrighty, good to have you on Ragnar. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, thanks for having me on. So uh, just to clarify, did were you one of the founders of the Guns and Bit- Bitcoin conference? Yeah, so I founded Guns in Bitcoin, and then the uh, Bear Arms in Bitcoin uh, decided to do that. Last year was our first one, so. Oh, awesome, yeah. Julia Tarinsky uh, sold me on it, and uh, uh, Stephen Cole's going up there, so I, I thought I'd, I was like kind of on the fence, and then I reached out to him, and he told me he's going. I was like, yeah, I got to be there. Um, but yeah, it's going to be my first time in Austin. Really looking forward to it kind of jealous of you guys out there because there's just so much good energy happening in, in Austin specifically right now, for sure. Yeah. I, I don't live in Austin, but we chose Austin because of, all, you know, it's a couple of things, uh, obviously for guns, we need a place where we can, um, be welcome there and have a, a good gun range to shoot, especially with the 3d printed guns. We have to have a, a friendly place, a lot of gun owners, a lot of Bitcoiners out there. It's in the middle of the country. Um, so it just ended up working out really well. And Julia brave the world. She spoke last year at the conference. She's an excellent speaker. So she's coming back this year. She always has some unique couple of views and thoughts. You just don't, I haven't heard from other people. So she's, she's fun that way. And then Steven was supposed to come last year, but he couldn't because of COVID and he was, uh, kind of driving around the country. So yeah, a lot of good people going to be there. speakers. You're going to be their attendees. It's going to be, it's going to be a lot of fun, especially I think people being locked down in COVID and there's not another really other conferences and it's hard to put on events. And so I think by the time we're there, people are going to have a lot of energy to actually be social and not be in front of a computer. Yeah. I I'm really looking forward to it. I, um, yeah, I've never seen or held a 3D printed gun before, um, so it's going to definitely be my first experience, and uh, I'm pretty excited. I, so, so yeah, um, what what drew uh, or got you interested in 3D printing guns? Well, it's just part of my, I would say, life philosophy of having autonomy, of having to do things yourself, and realizing that we're up against uh, great threats. And we really don't have a chance against them unless we have some asymmetric advantage, which is Bitcoin, right? Because 
Um, it's something that they can't really take from you um, with, with some caveats. And, and so taking that over to, to guns in general, um, it gives you an asymmetric uh, defensive advantage against a larger opponent. So it's, you know, whether it's guns, 3D printed guns or Bitcoin, it's all part of my philosophy of trying to, you know, defend myself uh, against various uh, bad actors. And it's also really fun. Um, it's, it, you know, it's, it's easy to, to take it too seriously, but it's also a lot of fun and I love the people who are in it. So it's, it's an easy transition. I, I'm not a big designer, big engineer, but it's, it's, you know, both are tools. And that's what I would say about guns or Bitcoin or these other things. They're just tools or means to an end. And, and I think it's easy for people to get caught up and think they're the end in themselves. Um, but, but they're not. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. Um, uh, guns are interesting. Well, both guns and Bitcoin are interesting because uh, there's a lot of people like me. I grew up just north of Chicago, so I didn't have any experience with guns uh, other than seeing the cops have them mm -hmm. on their hips. Um, yeah, there's just this like culture of like very, very anti-gun out where I grew up. And uh, I moved down to Arizona and they were, you know, everywhere on people's hips, going to gas stations and you know, you see people riding motorcycles with them. And it was definitely a strange experience. And I remember the the first time I went out shooting, it was kind of a transform transformative experience for me. Um, the, the first gun I shot was a 357, which probably wasn't a great idea for a first gun, but um, uh, it definitely was like, you know, I, I played Call of Duty and, you know, stuff like that as a kid and had this idea of what it would be like, and it was very different. And uh, um, becoming a gun owner, it kind of transformed me because it, it, you know, having something like a firearm adds a lot of responsibility to your life of like being aware of, um, you know, the power that you wield with it, uh, safety um, issues, uh, you know, all, all sorts of stuff um, that, you know, I, I wasn't really thinking about. And, and kind of the same thing with Bitcoin um, is it, it definitely has changed my perspective on things. Um, it, one of the funniest things I saw is like my brother came out and I had him shooting an AK and an AR for the first time. And he was like very hesitant to at first and he, he just had a blast. Um, and yeah. What, what do you think about like the whole, all of the polarization around guns and kind of the, the fear culture um, that is promoted a lot? Well, you brought up a good point. Uh, you know, when you come from uh, an area that's anti-gun, you didn't grow up with guns. Um, there's some hesitancy and, and your brother was hesitant because they build it up into this thing where you think a gun is like a bomb. It's just going to kind of blow up or it's going to shoot people by just sitting against the wall and it, you build that up in your mind. And then when you go to shoot, it's very kind of can be scary because of everything that you, you've kind of been told about them and, you know, they're loud and, and things like that. And you're sitting there thinking, wow, if I just turn two feet to the left, I can kill someone with this. But once someone from that background shoots for the first time, um, there's a little bit of fear, but then usually, at least every time I've taken someone, they have a lot of fun. It's so much fun. And so everything they were taught, they suddenly realized isn't quite true. So going to your question about polarization, so much of that is just sort of ignorance. When you really shoot guns with some responsible people, you realize, oh, it's, it's, these are just a tool. It's, it's some plastic and it's some metal 
And most people are good people. You go to the range and these are all really good, decent people who don't have a criminal record, who are just regular people. And so it's so important to break down this polarization by really getting people hands-on experience with guns and let them see for themselves and let them see that, hey, you're a normal person and you're taking them to the gun range. And if you're normal and you're a gun person, then it's not that weird. And so that's, that's been the key. If there's one thing that can break down the polarization, it's getting people's experience um, with that. And I think the second thing breaking down polarization is trying to listen to them and trying to be reasonable. And then once they understand, you know, that you are listening to them and you understand their, their um, points about gun control and guns, then they're more, um, you know, willing to listen to you. Now, unfortunately, it's become so polarized that you can't sometimes even get that far. And at that point, we just have to say, well, that's, that's too bad. And this is where, um, you know, like 3D printed guns and DIY guns come in because you don't need to argue. You don't need to lobby the government. You just do. And it's not up for debate. And that's similar to Bitcoin, right? You can, you can argue about monetary policy and what's the interest rate and, you know, is, is it wrong for Visa to do that or PayPal to do this other thing? Well, you could argue all day and it's polarizing, but at the end of the day, if you have Bitcoin, it's not a debate. You just do it. And that's what these tools, you know, give us is just being able to do these things and not having it rely on convincing someone that we're allowed to do it. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Um, so my girlfriend was telling me, I didn't see the article, um, but I trust her. She was saying that she saw somewhere that Janet Yellen was saying that uh, Bitcoin needs to be more regulated because it uh, helps facilitate human trafficking. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that's been a, a lot of stuff in the news about that recently. And, and another issue like on guns too, is that I had a I told, I sat down for breakfast with a friend and told him about the conference. And, you know, one of the first things he said is like, well, you know, like, how do we keep guns out of the hands of the wrong people? Um, so I think this is like the general consensus. Um, what, what, what are your answers to things like that when they're brought up? I think it's very important that we keep guns out of the hands of the wrong people. And most of those are in the government. And so if we want to start with that argument, I, I would agree with that. And I would say, you know, look at tyrannical states. You could, you know, it's easy to say China or Soviet Union or Russia or, or various regimes around the world or North Korea. But look here in the U.S., look at, look at the, the police brutality and the corruption. It's just incredible. And, and this is something that people, whites and blacks and everyone who's ever had any run-ins with any police can tell you it's they have so much power and to have them have the guns. And then you see the wars that the U.S. starts and the millions of lives that have been, you know, they killed and destroyed. And so they are right. Those people need to have the guns out of their hands. And you say that to them and say, well, no, 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 no. <laughs> They're the only ones who should have it. And then and I say, no, I should have it because I'm not the one um, that can have imp pure impunity to go out and shoot people's dogs and shoot people and not even go to court over it. I'm not the one that's going to start a war to kill brown people who have nothing to do with me. So when you turn it around that way, that's, it gets them start to thinking like, who are the people that shouldn't have uh, the guns in the wrong hands? Um, and then 
then they I usually start to get get your point. Yeah, I, that that's a phenomenal answer. I'm definitely going to be using that in the future. And uh, <laughs> yeah, but then then of course they know it's a great argument, so they they want to change the subject back to okay. Well, what about you know uh, uh, criminals and such? And I say okay, well let's start with rights. You know, people believe in rights. And to me, the, the fundamental right that anyone has is to be alive. You know, you have a fundamental right to not die. You have a fundamental right to not be killed. And so because guns are the way to protect that fundamental right to, to stay alive, you've got to justify to me why, why I can't and why you can take that away from people. Mm -hmm. And I think that's hard, hard to justify with a few exceptions. Yeah, there, there seems to be this misunderstanding with the importance of rule of law and due process recently. And I've seen that a lot. You know, a lot of people are calling for censorship. Uh, and a lot of people are calling for, um, you know, domestic terrorist to, mm -hmm. uh, to domestic terrorism laws that would be kind of similar to along the lines of the Patriot Act. Um, why, why do you think that's problematic? Because it's, it's tyranny. This is Marxism coming to the West again. This is the Bolsheviks coming back into power. You know, um, we thought we defeated communism. We did on the economic front, but not cultural communism, not the people behind communism. And it's so dangerous because these, these people have a history, this, this far left ideology of absolute murder and tyranny. So now when they start saying these things of, oh, domestic terrorism, white supremacy, you know, uh, far right, radical right, all these things, this is insane. They are dehumanizing their political opponents. And then by saying they're terrorists, justify extreme violence against them. And so I, I never really thought they would come to the U.S. at least this fast. And so we're seeing the march of Marxism come to the West. And we'll, we'll, I think we're in for some very rough times ahead. Very rough. I, I think this is going to be the breaking apart of, of the country. Um, I just don't know when, but that's what's coming, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if we definitely follow along this current trajectory, it's going to look like that. And from like an economic standpoint, it doesn't look like things are going to get better anytime soon. Um, yeah. I mean, there's like clear examples of what you're describing too. So like just this week, the actress that played Cara Dune on the Mandalorian was uh, fired from the show um, because she tweeted about the dangers of dehumanizing people and um, compared it to the Nazis and what they did to the Jewish people. And, <laughs> you know, and that it wasn't, it wasn't anything like incorrect or wrong. She just was willing to like call out the insanity that is going on with people and she was fired from her job. So there, there's real implications. Um, yeah. And that, that um, really, you know, bothers me that that happened for the reasons you stated, but also, I think people need to understand that it, as, as bad as the Nazis were, and they, and they, and they were, you know, um, the record is clear, nothing compares to the communists, nothing compares to the Bolsheviks. So when we want to talk about true tyranny, and we want to talk about dehumanizing and murder and, and censorship, 
it's it's communism it's marxism you know nazism was was only around for maybe a decade and they did not go into the extensive um things you know the censorship and the dehumanizing um like the the marxists did i mean again nazis were, were terrible but nothing compared to communism we're talking about 100 150 million people around the world killed by them and so when people compare it they should be comparing it to to the bolsheviks and the marxists and the Soviets, those are the people who had the gulags. Those were the people um, who had a complete um, tyrannical state. And the reason I, I point this out is because we think, oh, the bad guys were defeated. Oh, the Nazis are gone. Therefore, you know, that's it. We don't have anything to worry about. And the people now, the far left and Black Lives Matter and, and people on that spectrum, well, they're not the bad guys. We defeated them when in fact, they're just a different version of communism. And those were the biggest killers throughout the modern era. And so to me, I, it's something I've been trying to do is to remind people of that's what we compare to. Why? Because that's what's here. You can't make the argument, oh, these people are Nazis. No, because those people, you know, it's universally agreed that those were bad. And and so it's getting the language right is, is clear. And it's so ironic that they, um, you know, fired her and just proved her point. Um, and, and so it's, it's incredibly, incredibly hypocritical and, and, and ironic. I'm not sure which one more, but I think um, pulling out for a second and just looking at sort of the big picture, I think we have to realize that it's only going to get worse. And so we have to start getting parallel economies um, people who are conservative, people who are, you know, especially white conservatives, we have to understand this is warfare and we have to start um, supporting each other. We have to start um, not supporting companies like Disney Plus and so many others who are doing this because they don't hold back. There's nothing holding back. The only way we can be financially, um, you know, more anti-fragile is amongst each other. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Um, I'm a huge fan of BTC Pay Server, and I think that uh, especially from a content creation standpoint, people should be pursuing it because we're seeing financial censorship happen. Mm -hmm. You know, the the example that's used oftentimes in uh, uh, in the Bitcoin communities is WikiLeaks and how Visa, PayPal, MasterCard stopped supporting them. And that's that's really where Bitcoin really proved itself as um, a censorship-resistant money of helping this very effective organization continue to survive. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's something as a content creator that, you know, Bitcoin offers a lot to me. And, uh, you know, cancel culture is insane and it can happen on a whim, um, you know, for things that are not always like, reasonable and it's important but yeah i mean you even see things like uh marijuana just got legalized in arizona and yet um they can't bank you know so it's a cash only business and and that's a huge huge way that bitcoin could step in and really offer these people to have a money that's like decent and easy to store and easy to transport versus cash so um yeah. hey are yeah, you starting absolutely are you starting to see those circular economies um, spring up? Um, I see it at, at a small scale. And, and for example, in 3D printing, 3D gun printing, um, you have some, some people who make 
you know, aluminum rails for some of the Glock models and they'll accept Bitcoin. Um, you see deterrence dispensed. They, they accept Bitcoin. A lot of the, the designers accept Bitcoin donations because that's all they can ex accept. It, it, it could be, I mean, they can't have like a PayPal and cash app and stuff like that, but you know, especially for the pseudonymous ones, they, they don't want to be tracked like that. Um, so like at our conference, uh, Bear Arms and Bitcoin, uh, we do a silent auction. We did it last year. We raised uh, just under 2000, uh, this, this year, hopefully we're going to do more, but we have a silent auction and then those funds go to defense, uh, deterrence dispensed. And it would be tough to donate to them otherwise because they don't have a bank account. So that's an example of a circular economy. Um, and people in this world, they also will like use Bitcoin to pay for their domain or for their hosting or for their proton mail. Um, and so that's sort of in terms of the Bitcoin economy, that's the scale that I participate in. Um, kind of other Bitcoiners and, and buying their stuff with Bitcoin and then paying some of my my expenses with Bitcoin. Um, so it's it's modest, but it's it's there. And so if tomorrow I was kicked off of PayPal and Stripe, I would still have my Bitcoin income. It would it would be a hit on me, you know, because I get a lot of fiat, which is fine. But you know, when it comes to this Bitcoin circular economy, there's this misunderstanding that you're people think it's like at, at the level of a nation state. Like it's going to replace the dollar or the euro, but it's not. It's just like you really only need a circular economy like with five people. And that's that's sufficient for, for a lot of goals that you have. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you see that happen in a lot of Bitcoin meetups where people uh, do peer to peer uh, transactions in and out of Bitcoin and cash so that they don't have to go through all the KYC nonsense. And I think that's a really great thing, a great implementation of that for sure. Um, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, I think like what people don't realize is how Silicon Valley is in on this. And, and what a really good example of it is what happened to uh, Parler um, mm -hmm. in the sense that like everybody colluded together to go after them. Um, and everybody can have different opinions on it, but um, Andreas Antonopoulos describes it well as like, you know, they go after um, unde undesirable people or people that you're easy to scapegoat first, and then they could slowly ramp it up. And then next thing you know, they're, they're after you. Mm -hmm. And it's uh, um, seeing things like, I think people should be concerned and uh, looking for alternative ways. And yeah, like what you said, at least having Bitcoins set up um, gives you an option if all else fails. And it's like a good backup to have. Um, yeah, and, and people wait until it's too late and, and that's an issue. And then people also think, well, you know, it's such a small amount. Like maybe the only way you could earn Bitcoin is you sell a couple of shirts now and then, or maybe it's through donations and you think, well, why even bother, whatever it might be. But it's important, and over the years, it starts to add up. Um, you know, like dust transactions. You know, I have dust and 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 wallets, and now with the price of Bitcoin being, I don't know, forty thousand, forty three thousand, whatever it it is, that's not dust amounts of Bitcoin now. That's that's real Bitcoin. And so, thinking long term, it's it's yes, it's that censorship resistance, but it's also that. 
amount of Bitcoin that you have. And I'm glad you brought up WikiLeaks because um, I can't remember the exact number, but the value of their Bitcoin was absolutely incredible. And at the time it was, you know, it, it was, I think, I don't know, a couple hundred thousand or a hundred thousand that they got in donations, but now they had this war chest. And so that's another reason why we want to try to build up the circular economy and try to earn Bitcoin is so that you can, over time, hopefully the price goes up and you have a war chest and that's financial independence. And so you have people um, who have enough Bitcoin to where they can, they're free. You know, they're able to say mostly what they want um, because they have that. And so when we talk about censorship resistance, it also is a result of number go up as much as I, you know, shy away from that phrase. And I think it, it's wrong in a lot of ways it's used, but it's also good in the sense that it gives you censorship resistance when you have enough to be financially autonomous. And not only that, but then you can continue to, to transact as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you have a good reserve, uh, you're pretty much uncancelable because even if you get deplatformed, you can just like sit in your kitchen, do whatever you want. So, yeah. And not only that for yourself, but you know, I, I've been working on this blog post I haven't published yet, but it's about philanthropy, philanthropy and Bitcoin, which is now that we've had such an incredible run and, and with Bitcoin's price, there's a lot of people who have more money than they've ever had. And, and for some people, it's a significant amount of money that they have. And I think it's an incredible opportunity to really make a difference in ways that you normally couldn't either because if you know if you're really wealthy like bill gates is an extreme example he, he gives away half of his wealth and he can have a big impact and if you if you have a lot of bitcoin you can also do that as well like the pineapple fund guy he did that he had millions of dollars to give away but if you have a lot of bitcoin and then you can give those to causes that causes and people who are been deplatformed or causes that aren't politically correct to where when you give that donation, um, there can be a real issue. I think the rise of in the price of Bitcoin is a huge opportunity to really make big impacts, both on the amount of money that's out there by a lot of libertarian pro-freedom type people, just, just the amount of money that they have to do that. And then the ability to give it to people and causes that before couldn't, couldn't receive it in a pseudonymous way. So I, I think, I think I hope that, you know, people have done well in this bull run. We'll try to, you know, share the wealth a little bit and maybe try to try to give some of that to, to worthy causes. I, I think we can make a really big difference. Yeah. Yeah. I 100% agree with that. I, that's something that, that Bitcoin has definitely allowed for me is just like attaining a sense of like self sovereignty and being able to have some savings and it allows me to give money to causes that I care about. So like I'm a member of the Arizona citizens defense league, you know, and they're a, a very effective pro two a uh, movement. And then, you know, there's other uh, organizations like the Goldwater Institute here in Arizona and they go and, um, lobby and and come up with lawsuits for things that are just terrible like some guy got his van confiscated over a 25 dollars theft um that his girlfriend was accused of and he used the van for work and so <laughs> you know they they went out and went after the state because of that you know and yeah and and if you'd held a fundraiser you know that's another thing is look at these fundraisers that have been started for various people and the, the fundraising was stopped 
um, you know, you, you, you can't fundraise on certain platforms. Um, and, and so if it's an unpopular cause, big tech's not going to allow you to donate money. You know, the, the big platforms don't, you have subscribe star, which is better, but there's only so much, you know, that they can do as, as a legal entity and as a third party, whereas Bitcoin, you can donate to unpopular causes and unpopular people. So it's, it's, it's another great opportunity um, with the rising price of Bitcoin and more people holding Bitcoin to, to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think like a lot of times people have trouble um, connecting this to the future. You know, they just will, will hear something like this and they'll think, oh, 3D gun printing people, they're crazy, bad, whatever. You know, I, I like to circle it back to to things that and, and people that, you know, we generally agree today are great people. So like if you look at Martin Luther King Jr. during the civil rights movement, if he was um, alive today and doing his work, I would imagine that he would be deplatformed because the FBI was going after him. He was very inconvenient for the establishment and, and the elites. Um, and, you know, so it, it like framing it in that context, like it is, it is the equivalent of to some degree of like a situation like that of there's genuinely good people that are questioning, like, um, that actress that I said, you know, she, she is a prominent figure, you know, she's trying to bring some sanity into the conversation gets deplatformed, you know? And, and so I think it's important for people to, you know, wrap their minds around that because it, it will be the causes that they care about too. It's not just, you know, people are so polarized that, you know, if they look at the other side, getting deplatformed, they, they cheer it on. Um, yeah. And, and those people who are, who are doing the deplatforming them it, and, and it's, it's really Marxism, Bolshevism. That's what it is. They call it woke, but it's, it's not woke. It's, it's much more serious than that. It's, it's communism. And the people who are cheering that on the, these censored people, they are putting themselves in a very dangerous position because even though they feel they have the power now and they mostly do history shows us that it always swings back. Whenever you go to one extreme, it swings back and it swings back hard and you never know when. I mean, a good example of this is the Spanish Civil War. The communists were voted into power. There was a, a coup um, from the right, um, from the nationalists. And there was, I mean, the, the communists got driven out and destroyed. There's a lot of violence. And then there was a, a right, a far right, what someone called far right, you know, regime for, for decades. And so people forget what happens when it swings the other way. And we've, uh, there's all so sorts of examples in history when the political pendulum swings back and people have a memory. And so these people who are in power now, I'm surprised. I mean, they, they should learn from history and see what happened when the left went too far and what happens when the right goes too far. And so th these people are, are setting up, I think, for a dark future for themselves. Um, it, it just, that's, that's the cycle of history. Yeah. So, so what are like tangible things that individuals can do uh, to protect themselves in this scenario? There's, there's so many things. I mean, the first thing I think is, is having some pseudonymous accounts. Um, I use my real name for certain things and pseudonymous accounts for other things. Um, so I think that's the, the bare minimum that you should be doing to express certain things. Um, I think the second thing is really trying to see what you can do for your financial autonomy. And that could just be, you know, 
if you can't, you should try to work for yourself. If you can try to get a side gig uh, for yourself, try to accumulate Bitcoin, but that's, that's hard for a lot of people and that's okay. You know, look at something, just trying to work for an employer that won't cancel you. Like if, if you're, if you're in the trades, like if you're an electrician is, is your, your company going to fire you because someone contacts the company and says, Oh, he said this awful thing. Are they going to laugh in their face and say, yeah, we love him. He's a great electrician. Like go pound sand. And so to, to have that financial autonomy, just do that. Try to work for people who share your beliefs, who won't, who won't, who won't be bullied. Um, if you, if you can't work for yourself. So that's, that's a really basic thing. I think that the second thing I would say is to make friends and to try to try to build a network of people that you can work for, or, or they'll work for you, or they'll support you, whatever it might be. Like you've mentioned a few groups in Arizona, you know, just being around those people, um, they're not going to cancel you, or they might have a job for you, or they can fund you, or you could fund them in some way. You know, just going back to just, you know, just tribes, right? We're, we're, we're no longer in the era of like the lone libertarian, come and take it standing on his own. I mean, tribes, tribes will run right over individuals. And so you got to get your own tribe, financial tribe. Um, I would say those are two things to start with. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's huge. I think that's really, really helpful. Um, because I think a lot of people are, are, are feeling scared right now that they're kind of isolated and afraid of, uh, the mob attacking them. And I've had conversations with people like that. And those are some, super tangible ways so uh, kind of circling back so a lot of times when people hear marxism and communism they they just think of it as a buzzword um when when i'm explaining you know when they use words like socialism and um talk about higher taxes and and regulations over the economy and you know x y and z um government action um i i like to explain to people that bigger government equals smaller individuals. And it, it really t- means taking people's voices away. Um, and that's why like a UBI would actually be problematic uh, because the individual has less power in society. Um, how would you uh, describe Marxism and communism? Um, I would say Marxism communism is the attempt to eliminate all of your opponents and have complete control over people, their thoughts, what they buy, where they go, who they can associate and what they think. It's, it's think of tyranny taken to every level of living. That's what Marxism is and communism is. And to distinguish between say socialism, socialism can just be like big government and that's its own set of problems, right? Heavy taxes and regulations. And I I would love for us to go back to those days, just maybe 10 years ago, that's what we were worried about was, oh no, socialism. But when we see what's happening, that's not, there's socialism there when they want to try to raise taxes and regulations. But now we're facing something much, much more dangerous. And that is this Marxism, communism, Bolshevism has different manifestations and names, but that's ultimately what it is. And I I think, um, you know, our public education system has failed us because we don't have um, extensive courses in looking at the evils of, of these, you know, these philosophies and these peoples and these regimes, if we did, we would see it a mile away. And so you, you talk to people like, I know some people whose parents and grandparents lived through, you, you know, Mao and, and communist China, 
in the stories they tell, I just, I just makes me shiver, but why aren't that, why isn't that in all the movies? Why isn't that on the news? Why isn't that in the history books? Why isn't that in TV shows? Why isn't that in the culture? So that's why people kind of, kind of don't know what that is. Like, well, what do you mean by Marxism? What do you mean by Bolshevism? You know, what is that? It's, it's like, wow, our, our system is failed that we don't know any of that. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it's intentionally kept out of journalism. You know, we see it everywhere where the, the Chinese are infiltrating all, all uh, aspects of society. Why, why do you think, so, so part of it is people don't understand the evils, that's what you said, why, but why do you think people are drawn to it um, in general? I think, I think it's two reasons. First, um, they are people who are just absolutely violent people who are bloodthirsty and power thirsty, and they see this as the means to achieve their, their bloodlust, quite frankly, they're, they're attracted to that violence that that's who they are as people inside. And I think the the second category are people who, um, are just delusional, who, who buy the lie who who's who think okay capitalism they see some of the bad things that come from capitalism and it's true um they see things you know like the police that, that's bad and and they understand hey it's bad that you know discriminating against people just based on their skin color their their sexual orientation they see that's bad okay that's understandable but then they they follow that into this dark place that is Marxism and communism, where there's so much more to that. So, so that's why like the, the Marxist propaganda is powerful because they start talking about equality, right? And, and they talk about the common good and they, and they talk about those sorts of things. And that attracts people who are, are oriented that way. And then generally I think those people have good intentions, but then they just get dragged down into that hole. And then, you know, at that point it's, it's kind of too late. Yeah, that was something that Alex Gladstein brought up was that the origin of these ideas of uh, uh, universal health care uh, over individual freedom um, was it, it came from the Soviets, you know, at the United Nations at its founding where, you know, they're throwing people in camps and killing political rivals. Um, but they're they're preaching this e equality for everybody. And uh, it is it is kind of wild if you go back to the origins of where these ideas came from, for sure. Um, but yeah, um, what this is kind of a dark conversation. What what's giving you hope for the future um, and getting you excited right now? I think that it's actually in a way good that things are bad and going to get so much worse because I see it as an opportunity. Um, I think that the US is going to fracture, Europe is gonna fracture. And even though that is thought of as bad, it could be a, a new opportunity to form um, countries and nations the way we would want them to be. Right now, you you can't, right? You vote and that doesn't really do much. But imagine if if, uh, Western nations fracture, that, that would be a very terrible thing, but that could be the opportunity for like a city, something the size of a city or, or the size of a county or the size of a hundred people could say, 
hey, in this chaos, we're going we're gonna to form the, the nation that we want. It's, and whatever it might be, it might be no gun laws, no income tax, or it might be, you know, it's going to be more of a communal state. It might be a, an ethnic state. It might be a religious state. But I think there's going to be real opportunities when it just breaks apart and everything decentralizes through that chaos is to then have your own new little world where people can, can have, have the government the way they really want it to be. So that's what's giving me hope is hopefully things will get bad enough that will it will break things up enough to where you can you know form the country that you want um right now it's just such a giant monolith that you you really can't change things so that's that's one thing that's given me hope uh the second thing is i think people it, things have accelerated so quickly in the last year or two that finally people are waking up to it and before it was such a slow boil that you know they knew something was wrong, but but now now they see how bad it is, and they're starting to see the people behind it, and it's getting bad enough to where people are speaking up. So people are waking up. Um, Bitcoin is spreading. Three uh, D printed guns is almost unstoppable now. At, at this point, that's that's a really big thing, and that's going to be important. Fast forward a couple of years when we have complete gun control. So just just a few of the things, I guess. Sure. Is that, is that something you're predicting is complete gun control? Yeah. I mean, I think it's going to be like California type gun control and they're going to hit it from all angles, um, from, from taxes on ammunition from, you know, there's this latest bill you probably know, I can't remember the name of it, but mm -hmm. it, it is the most worst, uh, potential gun control you could possibly think of. I think you have to have a, your social media history. They want a completely public database of all gun owners, anyone can look up. I think you have to have like a psychological eval evaluation, maybe, you know, insurance. Um, they they want to prohibit people from even having files of guns. Um, I mean, every worst case scenario you could think of. And eventually they will get it over time. It's just a matter of time. Um, because I see a, a slowly, a permanent majority of Democrats between the demographic changes and their ability to uh, control and count the votes, and they're willing to perhaps pack the Supreme Court, um, their ability to put in federal uh, attorneys, uh, attorney generals who are, who are going to enforce this. So uh, absolutely, I, I see it um, absolutely going that way. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I could see that happening too. That's why I joined the AZ, CDL, and NRA again. <laughs> I let my membership lapse, but yeah, I don't know if they're going to stand a chance. Yeah. Well, you're in the right place though. I mean, Arizona, you know, places like that. I think when things go bad and, and secession becomes a reality and other things, that's, that's where you want to be because if you're around people like that and you've made friends in that world, um, it's, it, it, you're in a much better place than living in like California, which I'm so glad I left. Yeah, I'm, I am so grateful I left uh, Chicago and, and moved out here for sure. <laughs> it's like a, it's, you can breathe fresh air. When I go into those, those states that are, are strict, it feels like I'm getting ready to walk through TSA. And it's just like this invasion. Um, but yeah, um, yeah, ammo is ridiculous right now. It's really hard to get your hands on it. I mean, I feel like that would be one of the ways to to really start implementing gun control is just to make it impossible um, to get your hands on ammo. 
um, because if you don't have ammunition, you can't shoot your gun. Um, and I know there's people doing making some progress as far as the um, 3D printing, and um, there'll probably be circular economies of people loading their own and, and making their own ammunition that pop up as a result of it. But yeah, it is things are changing really quickly. Yeah. And, and not just that, but there's like new ways to fire projectile. Like one of the speakers at the Barons and Bitcoin conference, um, Suckboy Tony, he has this double barrel gun. It's like 50 caliber and it's electronic ignition. So instead of, you know, he uses a spark from a battery is my understanding. And that's what ignites it. So things like that, unique ways of even, you know, getting the bullet out, out of the gun and his, his cartridge is very unique. So it, right now, it's just sort of a proof of concept. You know, you're not going to go and d defend your life with it. Is is you know, and he'll say that, but you know, that'll be refined and refined and refined. And you know, technology. You know, big picture, um, technology helps us so much to get around what would otherwise be a political decision or philosophical battle. Because you know, if you're able to do it then the argument is over, whether that's Bitcoin or guns or something else. So it's good that people are just focusing on that, working more and sort of arguing less. And that's been my goal this last year and going forward is to try to try to argue less and try to do more. It's hard, but that that's the real way forward. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like, that's the thing about Bitcoin that I really like is it's changed my perspective of like, you can build cool things to circumvent the things you don't like. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, 3D gun printing definitely seems like it fits into that philosophy 100%. I mean, the cypherpunk movement is just so cool and um, love the, the learning about, you know, the philosophy of, of cypherpunks, of, of privacy and, um, you know, all these things that are really important for it to be an individual. Um, yeah. Where, where are some good places people can follow your work? Um, well, I'm on Twitter at Ragnarly, R-A-G-N-A-R-L-Y. And then I have my personal website, which is ragnarly.com. And um, my goal this year is to write a lot more and tweet a lot less. I think I published one or two articles. Yeah, just two articles so far in my blog, ragnarly.com, and, and hopefully do a lot more there. And then in terms of... Um, like guns and Bitcoin, we have a newsletter. That's that's more about you know guns and Bitcoin, kind of uh, the contributors there. But that those are two good places. Um, and then I'm on Telegram. Just um, I've, I have a Telegram channel, but I don't use it that much. And then Gab as well. It's all Ragnarly, R A G N A R L Y. Awesome, awesome, awesome. And real quick, could you do a quick pitch for why somebody should go to guns and Bitcoin this year? Yeah, you should go to Guns and Bitcoin because you're going to meet uh, people who are at the very bleeding edge of freedom technology, uh, whether it's the cryptocurrency or the guns. And so you could both learn how to uh, work with both of those and do those yourself and just make friends and a network of people who really are going to you know, support you with your work or just be a sounding board or be a future business partner or friend. Because at the end of the day, it really comes down to people and humans and that's why we decided to do guns and bitcoin as a real life event because you have to have those real life relationships um to really get through uh what what we're dealing with now and what's what's ahead of us and it'll be a lot of fun awesome yeah man 
What a fun conversation with Ragnar. Really excited to see him, be seeing him out in Austin in April. The conference just sounds great. It is just so nice to be around other Bitcoiners, to be a part of people that are really like outside of this whole red versus blue nonsense that are genuinely building things to create a better future um, and to protect individuals' rights. There's so much energy directed at demoralizing and tearing people down and uh, conversations like this and being with people that are solution oriented that, that see these major shifts in uh, culture and society um, and, and try and protect their communities however they can are just so valuable a good place to meet people like that is at your local bitcoin meetup we've got them going in tucson got them going in uh, Phoenix. They're all over the country. You know, I'm pretty excited. Uh, I'm in a group uh, that's working hard to, to plant meetups around the country, and there's, there's some happening in small cities. There's some happening in big cities. You know, it's just so awesome to see that energy, you know, like how can we get this tool into people's hands to better their lives and, and to help them protect the value that they create. It's just so great. But yeah, I mean, it, it also is a great place to learn. You know, you don't have to be an expert or a cypherpunk to show up to the meetup. You can, you know, know nothing and, and, and learn how to use a wallet, you know. And that's one of the great things is just like gives you access to people that know more that can teach you and uh, help you build a more resilient lifestyle. But yeah, hope you enjoyed this uh, interview and have a good one.